Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Just the West podcast. I'm your host, Just the West, and two weeks have gone by. We move into the NFL Week 3, and in the NFC West, you have the Niners 2-0, the Seahawks 2-0, the Rams 2-0, and even the Cardinals, they are 0-1-1, but they've been a tough 0-1-1. They've had two really close games where, you know, come Week 3, maybe they do get their first win of the season. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the matchups at hand, NFL, NFC West, Week 3. Let's go. LFG. If you know what it is, you know what it is. LFG. Um, you have Niners, first home game of the season, 2-0, coming off two road wins, and they host the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are favored by 6.5, over under 43. You have the Seattle Seahawks uh, coming off another tough um Tough win against the Steelers. Uh, this time around, they get the Saints. They're hosting the Saints at Seattle. They're favored by four and a half over under 45. Cardinals at Cardinals. Home game. They are 0-1-1, but they're playing the Panthers. And the Panthers, I'll get it, you know, a little bit more into it. But they have a good opportunity to get their first win of the season. They are favored by two and a half. Over under 44 and a half. And these are all Pacific Standard Time. These are all one o'clock games in the afternoon, which leads me to the last game of week three on Sunday. Sunday night football. It's gonna be the Rams at Browns in Cleveland. They haven't had a primetime game in over eleven years. Yeah, eleven years they have not had a primetime game on national television. In which, yeah, this is an overhyped Browns team, but they get to play on television, national television, against uh, last year's Super Bowl NFC contenders in the Rams. And so you have the Rams on the road, favored by three, over under 50. Hmm. Interesting. Spicy. So let's go ahead and get underway. Let's start with a couple of NFC West games. My thoughts, a couple of the matchups. The lines and you know my my predictions with the score at hand. Quick reminder before we get underway with this, go ahead and check out the blog www.justthewest.com. I'm going to post my blog thoughts about this game, aka pregame thoughts. The last couple of weeks I've been busy with uh, I had a wedding, not my wedding. I had other engagements, and so that's my bad. But I plan to get back on course with that. Also, Instagram at Just the West and Twitter at Just the West. All right, let's go ahead and get started. So, like I mentioned before, the Cardinals, they have a home game. They're playing the Panthers. Uh, the Panthers, ugh, I don't know if y'all saw last Thursday Night Football against the Bucks, but they were pretty shitty. They, they lost to the Bucks. In turn, the Bucks lost to the Niners in week one. So, take it for what it may, but um, yeah, man, I mean, this Bucks team wasn't looking too good, and they uh, they brought it home. They limited, uh, they limited Chris McCaffrey. He only had like what, like 50, 60 all-purpose yards after you know week one, having like two hundred twenty and two touchdowns against the Rams. And so, you know, for this game in particular, it's um, yeah, it opened with the Panthers being favored by two and a half, three points. But there's rumors right now that. 
Cam Newton, who's been dealing with injuries even since the preseason, he is questionable to start. And so if he does not start, uh, you're going to get Kyle Allen, who is actually Kyler Murray's teammate in college during Texas A&M. They actually, um, before Kyler Murray transferred to Oklahoma in 2015, they split time. Uh, they finished with an 8-5 and five record. They were like co-quarterbacks, if, if you will. Um, but anywho, that was back in 2015, and now Kyler Murray will likely face off his uh, his teammates in Kyle Allen. I'm going to be honest. I don't know too much about Kyle Allen. I'm just reading the uh, FYI fact of the days. But yeah, man, I think that uh, that swing from Carolina two and a half to Cardinals two and a half is notable. The Cardinals, well... They haven't been winning games the last two weeks. Uh, they've been getting two moral victories. They had a really close, competitive game against the Lions after being down, what was it, like 21-6 to going into the fourth quarter. They lost, uh, well, they didn't lose. They got a tie that first week, which is a moral victory in itself. That is the definition of a moral victory. And then uh, week two, they were 13.5-point favorites at Baltimore, Kyler Murray's first road game. And they competed, man. They were in the game throughout all four quarters. They lost 17-23. to And all in all, you're looking at the first overall pick, uh, one of the first quarterbacks to start his career throwing back-to-back 300 yards in passing. And, you, you know, going into... Going into the season, you thought of him as like a dual threat quarterback, but you know he's only rushed the ball. He's only carried the ball six times for like I don't know, like twenty something yards. He's been a complete passer in this whole ten offense, this whole um, spread uh, Cliff Kingsbury offense, and so it's been good so far. It's been good pretty quickly, you know, after two weeks, which makes me very hopeful for a home game against the Panthers. Now, mind you, the Panthers have a very strong front seven. Luke Kuechly, last week, he had, I mean, shit, he's off to another terrific start. He had 17 tackles last game. If that's an indication that he's perfectly fine, he's playing in in his prime. And even you have the rookie, Brian Burns, uh, their first-round pick this year. He's been leading the league. Well, not the league, but he's been leading all rookies and, you know, um, pressures, sack rates, and whatnot. He's up there with Nick Bosa. And so, yeah, it's worrisome for the Cardinals' offensive line with this defense. More specifically, the Cardinals' running back, David Johnson. Uh, I think it was uh, an ankle injury last game. He was a little bit battered up. He's been practicing, but taking his time, he's been limited in practice. I think he's going to play this Sunday against the Panthers. Uh, He's going to be a very important part. Obviously, you want David Johnson in the passing game. To keep Luke Kuechly on his attention. Um, but outside of that, you're going to have this four wide receiver offense go against the Panthers. And they're pan- you know, the Panthers secondary, they're okay. I'm more worried about their front seven. And so it's going to be interesting when the Cardinals do go into their four wide receiver sets, which they've been using by like over like what 60, 65% of the time. It's going to be interesting to see what the Panthers do to adjust to that. Uh, their secondary is good. But it's not great. And so whether it's been Christian Kirk, who finally broke out last week with like 100 yards um, receiving, or it's been Larry Fitzgerald, who's been 
I mean, he's been connecting time and time again with Kyler Murray. I think that um, already he's already had a couple of 20-plus yard plays. He only had a couple of those last season. And so it seems like the offense is turning along with those two wideouts. Um, yeah, man, um, I think that the Cardinals have a very good chance at home to really pull away and get their first victory of the season. The one really notable thing, I mean, I won't say one thing, but let's just say that, you know, you do get Kyle Allen. Um, you know, I, I, maybe in matchups past, I'd be a little bit more worried about the Cardinals secondary. But, you know, between Tremaine Brock and the rookie Byron Murphy out of Washington, they've been okay. I've been more so impressed with the rookie Byron Murphy uh, really stepping up as the number two receiver versus the slot cornerback position. He's been pretty damn good. And against, you know, Samuel Moore, they've been okay. I'm more so worried about, you know, what will the linebackers, this Arizona linebackers corps do in pass coverage because thus far, defending tight ends in the passing game, it's been pretty bad, man. Week one, TJ Hawkinson. Week two, Mark Andrews. Uh, They've allowed, for each opposing tight end, they've had 100-plus receiving guards. And so you're going up against, you know, a quarterback's safety blanket in Greg Olson. And so for any up-and-coming quarterback, yeah, that tight end exploitation matchup is right there. I would probably expect a big game out of Greg Olson, and I would probably expect a pretty big game out of Christian McCaffrey, a.k.a. CMC. He was bottled up last week, like I mentioned before, but against this Cardinals front seven, you know, they've they've been okay. They've been They haven't been horrible up to this point, but... You know, they haven't been dominant either. Uh, so, yeah, they, they have their hands covered. Not necessarily against the wide receivers, but against Greg Olson and CMC. Keep that in mind. One particular battle in the trenches that does worry me is right tackle Justin Murray. Keep in mind that their starting right tackle, Marcus Gilbert, who they traded for from the Pittsburgh Steelers during the offseason, yeah, man, he tore his ACL like week one. And so right away, they plug in an undrafted free agent in Justin Murray. He's been in the league for a couple of years. He did well enough the first couple of weeks. And so he's going to go up against Brian Burns on, uh, yeah, uh, on, on the left end side. It's going to be either Mario Addison or Brian Burns. And so I would be, be a little bit worried about that. Um, yeah, man, just... Keep that in mind. Having said that, Kyle Allen doesn't really scare me. This Panthers team as a whole, they've been underwhelming. This Cardinals, um, this defense, this offense, even though they're winless up to this point, I'm very optimistic that they do get their first win at home. And after three weeks, if you were to tell me they were going to go one, one, and one, I would feel very, very good and optimistic for this franchise. So go ahead and give me the Cardinals 24, Panthers 16. Keep in mind that the spread was Cardinals 2.5 over under 44.5. I'm predicting Cardinals 24, Panthers 16. Huh. Next matchup at hand. I haven't been this excited in a while because the Niners are coming off a 2-0 start. On the road, which hasn't happened in, like, what, forever. 
They have their first home game of the season against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, man, they have a bye week four. If they can win this game and go into the bye week 3-0, and oh my God, this whole Niners Nation, Niners Faithful, whatever you may call it, I don't really care. They would be ecstatic. The last couple years for the Niners fan base, it's been hard. It's been very difficult football to watch. Uh, but under Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, uh, sure, they've had their shortcomings. Sure, they've had a ton of injuries the last couple seasons. But, you know, last week they beat the Bengals 41-17. to And it's given a lot of people optimism. It's put the league on attention. Uh, given that the Bengals, you know, they're not a particularly good team. Neither are the Bucks in Week 1. But it does make you wonder about this team moving forward. Just how legitimate are they? In 2019, Jimmy G had a very strong game after a lackluster performance in week one. And so you have the Niners favored right now, depending on where you get the line. Niners favored by either six and a half or seven points. For this instance, let's just say it's six and a half over under 43 against the Steelers. And mind you, right now the Steelers are 0-2 and they are coming off a game in which they barely... Lost to the Seahawks 28-26 to at home. It was a tough one. Not more so for the loss itself, but for the fact that they lost their starting quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger. He went out early on in the game. I believe it's an elbow injury where he's going to have surgery and he's going to be out for the season. And enter the second-year quarterback in Mason Rudolph. From Oklahoma State, uh, I believe last game against the Seahawks, he went, what was it, like 12 for 19, two touchdowns and an interception. The interception wasn't really his fault because uh, I think it was uh, Dante Moncrief. He had a catch. He dropped it or he, he got tapped and then it was picked off. But anywho, it seems like from what I've been seeing on the coverage, the Steelers fan base, the coaching staff is very confident in Mason Rudolph as they started moving forward. They went so far as to trade their first-round pick for next year. Instead of holding on to that first-round pick, they kind of showed that they're still in win-now mode. They traded a first-round pick next year for Mika Fitzpatrick, a versatile defensive back from the Miami Dolphins, a top-ten pick, mind you, in last year's draft class. Uh, He can either play the nickel, he could play both safety spots. From what I understand, he's slated to play... Uh, free safety, have Terrell Edmonds as strong safety, and you know they still have Joe Hayden and and, and those at the cornerback spots. Uh, so it does make it interesting. As a whole, when I look at the Steelers' defense against the Snyder's offense, okay, now the Steelers' defense, their front seven, it's been pretty nasty lately. They drafted Devin Bush, they have T.J. Watt, they have Steven Tua, who's coming off a two and a half sack game against the Seahawks. Um, now, they lost to the Seahawks last week. It was a close one, 28-26. But I want to remind you guys that, uh, yeah, it was a close game. It was a closer game than perhaps it should have been when you consider that Ben Roethlisberger left the game early on against the Seahawks. Uh, it took a really efficient game out of Russell Wilson to beat the Steelers at home. Russell Wilson went 29-35, for 35, three touchdowns, but... I believe it was, don't quote me on this, but I believe the first two drives of that game, 
Russell Wilson was sacked three times, and they had to completely alter their game plan. They couldn't do play action. They couldn't do big, long passing plays that that take time to develop. Uh, instead, they had to audible into doing a lot of quicker plays, a lot of screens, because, yeah, this front seven was kicking Seattle's ass. And so uh, while the Niners passed protection, they didn't allow a sack last week against the Bengals. You know, this time around, uh, their offensive line has been compromised. I don't know if you guys saw the news, but despite the 41-17 to win against the Bengals, they did lose someone. They lost left tackle Joe Staley, all-pro left tackle Joe Staley, who um, it was kind of a weird play, but I believe it was a run to, to Raheem Mostert, and he kicked uh, Joe Staley's leg or his whatever, and it ended up injuring his fibula. Joe Staley is out for the next six to eight weeks, and this is a crucial part of their offense. Uh, I think a big portion of what Kyle Shanahan does is he runs the ball very well, both on the left and right side, and that ignites him to do play action on both the left or right side. And so if you take away that blindside protection on that left tackle spot, it makes it really tough. It makes it really tough because, you know, at first I thought that last year's first-round pick, who's at the, on the right side, right tackle Mike McGlinchey, might slide over to left. But I kind of agree to what Kyle Shanahan said on his press conference, saying that, hey, if we put McGlinchey on the left side and he's not particularly strong over there, he's been more dominant on the right side, that means that whoever comes on the right tackle spot, you enable both tackle spots to be weak. You'd rather have one particular spot strong and make, you know, I guess the other spot weaker. I kind of agree with that. You'd rather have something solid on one end versus having two average. So Mike McGlinchey is going to stay on the right tackle spot on the left side, and this is where things get really interesting. You have six-round pick out of Vanderbilt, Justin School. Like school as in, you know, hey, I I go to school at UC Irvine. But Justin School, six-round rookie, you know, going into this season, he wasn't really expected to play right away. Um, Sean Coleman, who they had acquired last year via trade from the Browns, he was the third-round pick. He was supposed to be the swing tackle. He had actually started 16 games with the Browns in, in the prior season, and he had the starting experience. But just it's just some weird shit that happens in preseason. He essentially broke his leg, and they lost him for the year. And yeah, man. Next thing you know, you have Justin School as the left tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. I don't think they really envisioned that as the contingency plan for Jimmy Garoppolo's blind side, but here we are. And I think that's going to be the biggest matchup to really watch out for, for how they're going to address being the Steelers, because, um, you know, life without Joe Sealy is going to be tough. Um, but what are they going to do to compensate for that? So you're likely going to have Steven Tewitt, defensive end on the Steelers going to match up against Justin School. So what are they going to do? Are they going to have more Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback, help him out? Are you going to have George Kittle help him out, chip him off? Are you going to have more two tight end sets? Um, you know, are you going to uh, lean more heavily on the run game? Are you going to run, run, run to then do a little bit of play action? Um, I don't know. Some more 21 personnel, like I mentioned before, two tight ends. But 
I think that at least for the first game, uh, especially for a rookie, that's going to be very critical because the Steelers' pass rush, well, they don't do... Well, they're not a dominant defense per se. Last year, they were second in the league in sacks, first being the Chiefs, second being the Steelers. And so they can certainly get to the quarterback. And considering that Jimmy G isn't particularly mobile, he's coming off an ACL, uh, you got to make sure that Jimmy G has a cleaner pocket. If not, I think that um, it's going to be a lot of screens. It's going to be a lot of quick passes. You're going to see what Wilson and the Seahawks did uh, last week against the Steelers. You're going to see a lot of quick stuff. And that's not particularly bad, per se. I mean, you saw Debo Samuel do very well last week with, with the ball in his hands on a couple screen passes. But at the same time, too, uh, you need to run the ball well. You need to have play action. You need to keep the Steelers' defense offense. I'm sorry, the Steelers' defense honest. Because otherwise, they're going to be sitting and expecting the screens. And that's how you get, you know, like Vernon Hargrove, um, a pick six against the Bucks. That's how you get pick sixes for, for Jimmy Garoppolo. If they're sitting in and expecting these screen passes, that's not good either. So, oh, man, I think that's like the number one priority for the Niners. Um, outside of that, I mean, Mason Rudolph, this is his first career start. You don't have that much film against him, so that could be either good or bad, meaning that you don't really know his tendencies. Uh, but conversely, I mean, this is still his career first career start you need to bring pressure uh it wouldn't surprise me if robert sala brought the house every so often and make rudolph force himself to make a play against the snyder's front seven that would be awesome secondary needs to be ready uh conversely for the steelers offense james connor he's not 100 percent uh this receivers group i mean they haven't shown up quite yet uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, he's been all right. He had a nice play off a of Fleet Flicker last week. But Dante Moncrief, James Washington, uh, you know, you haven't seen them step up quite yet. <sighs> so overall, um, another matchup to check out for this would be right tackle Mike McGlinchey. I can go on, on and on about Justin School, but, you know, TJ Watt, he is the left defensive end. He is their best pass rusher on paper. And so right tackle Mike McGlinchey against left defensive end T.J. Watt. That is kind of the matchup that I'm eyeing on um, because, yeah, that is all the attention is really going to be on the left side. So Mike McGlinchey has to hold his own against T.J. Watt. Keep that in mind. Um, so with that being said, a lot of changes for the Steelers team. New quarterback, new free safety in Minka Fitzpatrick. They're still trying to win. They're 0-2 right now. They can't afford to go 0-3. Uh, so this might be a trap game for the Niners. I am a bit worried about that trap game factor. But I think the Niners can still do it. I'm not really a fan of the 6.5 points per se. But I think that they still do come out victorious. So give me the Niners 27. The Steelers 24. The Niners were favored by 6.5 over under 43, and I'm predicting the Niners 27 to the Steelers 24. Niners 27, Steelers 24. <sighs> all right, all right. Two down, two more to go. My other favorite team, I guess, would be the Seattle Seahawks, and they are 2-0 as well. They also have a home game as well. They're also playing 1 o'clock. 
well, 125 Pacific Standard Time as well. So they play another team without their starting quarterback. So the Steelers know Ben Roethlisberger. The Saints know Drew Brees. Drew Brees also left the game last week when they played the Rams. They left, uh, well, he left in the first half with a hand injury. His hand got stuck between Aaron McDonald. Um, It was kind of weird because I didn't think it was that big of an injury. But from what I understand, Drew Brees is going to be out next six to eight weeks or something like that. And so you have the Seahawks hosting the Saints. Seahawks hosting the Saints where the Seahawks are favored by four and a half over under 45. And mind you, like the Seahawks, they've been, I mean, take the W, baby, but they've been having some really close games. They, they won 21 to 20 against the Bengals. They beat the Steelers at Pittsburgh, mind you, 28 to 26. So they haven't had any dominant games. And, you know, to be quite honest, I don't expect them to have a dominant game against the Saints. I know that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starter for week three. I know that they're going to be at Seattle. But, you know, with Sean Payton and this offense, actually with this defense for that matter, they are a very well-coached team. And this year's... New Orleans Saints front seven is really good. Cameron Jordan, um, just those guys up front do a very good job bringing interior pressure. And that's not good for the Seahawks because uh, their offense of line, DJ Fluker, their right guard, he's been dealing with an ankle sprain. And, you know, between the rest of their guys on the offensive line, they've been okay. They've been okay. I mean, for, for Christ's sake, I, I was talking about the Steelers last week. Stephen Tewitt, he had two and a half sacks uh, against the Seahawks. I mean, yeah, they had to really adjust their game plan because, uh, you know, their, their traditional play calling uh, wasn't going to make it happen. They had to adjust it completely because their offensive line was not cutting it. And so the Saints, I won't say that they're as good as the Steelers rushing the passer. Actually, they might be. They're a pretty damn good front seven. Just keep that in mind. They're not the, the, the shitty Saints defenses of years past. It's a good stunt front seven. And so, you know, for me, I'm worried for Russell Wilson to, uh, well, not necessarily worried they're at home, but, you know, just keep in mind that it's not going to be an easy cakewalk. Keep in mind, they're starting running back Chris Carson last week had two pretty key fumbles. Kind of is the reason why the Steelers were in the game, but they had Chris Carson had two key fumbles in the first half and in the second half. I'll be curious to see how the low goes this this week because uh, Richard Penny had a nice 34-yard touchdown. Probably his best game that I've seen him as a pro. Um, really stepped up last week. So I'll be intrigued how he does this week, well, between Carson and Rashad Penny, to see how they put the load on for the run game. Uh, another thing for this offense is I've been pleasantly surprised with the rookie DK Metcalf. He has been that jump ball, red zone type of target for Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, the Saints, they have a pretty interesting uh, secondary as well. They have, obviously, Marcus Lattimore. They have Marcus Williams at free safety. They have Von Bell at strong safety. Eli Apple, yeah, yeah, I forgot about him, but yeah, they have Eli Apple, and then that nickel, they have P.J. Williams. They've had some, I won't say rebound guys, but a 
couple of players that have done way better this year or last year with the Saints. And so, yeah, passing game-wise, I'll be intrigued to see how they do. Uh, the Seahawks team, I, I mean, they are run heavy, but I've been pleasantly surprised with their play calling. I've been seeing a little bit more out of Russell Wilson um, being forced to to make a play. And you know what? That's okay with me. Uh, they're paying him like 30-something million dollars, and so rightfully so. On the other end for the defense, Seattle defense, um, you know, they have Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback for the Saints. So certainly the offense does downgrade themselves a bit. But, you know, the Saints anyways, they were a run-heavy team with Drew Brees. Drew Brees is like, what, what, he's like 40 years old, pretty damn close to it. And so they've been leaning towards the run game anyways. And so Kamara last week was surprisingly contained against the Rams. He only had like, what, 70-something all-purpose yards. Yeah, they're going to lean heavily on Kamara. Yeah, no kidding, right? I mean, no Drew Brees. Of course, they're going to lean on Kamara. But what does worry me about Kamara is, no kidding, what he does in the passing game. If you put Kamara in space, it's troublesome. And it's interesting to note because this Seahawks defense, you know, nowadays it's 2019, it's a passing league, blah, 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 blah. I, I get it, but... Uh, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because they don't feel too well about their their nickel situation or their dime packages, but they play a lot of base defense, meaning that they have all their linebackers in coverage, whether it's Michael Kendricks, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, and it's not a bad idea. They have one of the strongest linebacker sets in the NFL, but you know, in pass coverage, especially against uh, someone like Kamara, yeah, these linebackers, they're, they're quick, but, man, Kamara is a different animal. And so will that come to, to hurt them? Will they adjust their personnel? Jamar Taylor, they just signed him back on, so maybe he gets put at nickelback to kind of help the pass coverage. That's something to watch. Um, I also think that, you know, for their defense against tight ends, I know that you know, we can talk about Michael Thomas all day. Obviously, that's a priority. Last week, he had 10 catches for, what, like 85 yards or so. But Jared Cook, tight end. They signed him in free agency from the Oakland Raiders. He hasn't really been utilized yet. But something tells me, especially for Teddy Bridgewater, a tight end is a quarterback's best friend, especially playing in a very tough road situation at Seattle. Yeah, I'm going to see more Jerry Cook. So keep in mind for Jerry Cook, like I said, Kendricks, KG Wright, Bobby Wagner, they got to be on point with their pass coverage. Kamara and Jerry Cook, those guys down the seams or along the outside perimeter in the passing game, if I'm Bridgewater, I'm probably going to be looking for them. And so that should be a point of emphasis for this Seahawks and Saints game. So I'd probably say... I guess the matchup of the game, uh, I, I guess you can put, um, I guess, Wagner against Kamara. I'm, I'm sure that you're going to have Wagner shadow a lot of Kamara. Uh, but let's get to it. Let's get to it. So Saints at Seattle. Seattle's favored by four and a half. You know, for this matter, I think that they do take it. Win by more than four and a half. Give me a little bit more of a convincing win. Uh, the Saints team, it's a well-coached team, but 
you're going to see that factor with Bridgewater not being Drew Brees. So go ahead and give me Seattle 24. Give me New Orleans 17. So once again, the Seahawks are favored by 4.5 over under 45. So Seahawks 24, the Saints 17. Yep. All right, last but not least, I have my final pick of the NFC West. But before I get to that, just want to give a shout out uh, to one of our sponsors at Just the West called The Spread Podcast. Yeah. If you want an edge going into week three, check out The Spread. It's a gambling-centric podcast focused on stats-based picks and predictions against the spread to give insight into the best picks of the week. The Spread Podcast. Check them out. Check them out. So let's go ahead and get into our last game, which is Sunday Night Football. Mentioned before, it's going to be at Cleveland. First primetime game in like 11 years. So you have the Rams at the Browns. The Rams are favored by three over under 50. It makes you think, is this a trap game for the Rams? Because, I mean, these are Super Bowl contenders. They're 2-0. They're playing the Browns who have been, you know, they're 1-1. But one game, they, to be quite honest, they got shitted on against the Titans. And if you guys watch Thursday Night Football right now, I mean, yeah, they're getting shit on as we speak, those Titans. And so there's that. And then they, I mean, I guess you could say they had a dominant performance on Monday night against the Jets. But, I mean, this offense as a whole, Baker Mayfield as a whole, he's been kind of sporadic. So you would think that the spread would actually be higher, even though the Rams are on the road. I don't know, something something makes me feel that this game's a bit trappy. Trappy, happy, trappy, yeah. So the Rams, you know, they're 2-0. They're, I mean, what can I say? I mean, they're 2-0, but there are a couple things kind of porous, especially if you look at their offensive line. Last week, right guard Austin Blythe left the game with a lower ankle sprain from what I understand you know I don't know if Jamil Demby is going to be starting this game but uh, I kind of monitor that because Austin Blythe obviously he's one of the better guards on this offensive line this offensive line as a whole through two weeks and I know it's just two weeks but they've been if you look on the stats per pro football focus they haven't been good in pass protection they've given up a lot of pressures they're actually on the bottom third in the league in pass protection as a whole for their unit. You're looking at Brian Allen, uh, starter, under center for the first time in his career. The other guard, Joe Nobloom, he is a third-round pick. He's a starter for the first time in his career. And you have having signed at right tackle, who's been, by theory, he's been solid. But thus far this year, he's been okay. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, just a lot of, well, I won't say instability, but a lot of ups and downs with the offensive line. And because of that, I know that the Rams are 2-0, but Jared Goff is also, say what you want about Jared Goff, but Jared Goff has been, he's been okay. You know, I think his yards per attempt haven't been that great. You haven't seen that many shots down the field so far this season and a lot of it has to do with the pass protection 
you're not getting those big plays you're not getting those slower developing plays to launch it down the field you're getting more of the underneath stuff which is okay don't get me wrong but let's look on the other end which is the browns front seven their pass rush is fucking nasty guys miles garrett had three sacks last week monday night football against the jets mind you the jets aren't too particularly good but that's three that's three fucking sacks man so uh I'm pretty worried about this uh, this Rams offensive line. I'm kind of worried about Jared Goff for that matter. That's why I'm saying this is, has um, it's got a trappy feel, especially in a Cleveland team in need of something to really look forward to. I mean, this is supposed to be their year, and you've had so far you've had two tales of a good and a bad team with the Browns, and so they're going to be amped up at home. For Sunday Night Football, I guarantee you that. And so Jerry Goff is going to go in a very tough, tough road condition field against a very tough pass rush. And so keep that in mind. Let's look at the other side, though. You know, the Browns offensive line, they're not that great either. I think that's been, what was it, the kryptonite, their Achilles heel. Because everything else on this, at least on paper, it looks good. Their wide receivers, they have Odell Beckham Jr. for Christ's sake. They have Baker Mayfield, who's supposed to be an emerging. Some might have argued as an MVP candidate going into this year, but you have an emerging quarterback. You have a strong running game with Nick Chubb. Uh, yeah, man, good pass rush. Interesting secondary. Yeah, the only thing that really bugs me about this Browns unit is their offensive line, and so they have you know they have Greg Robinson of left, left left tackle, not too good. Uh, they have a couple other pieces. I mean, Joe Patino is probably their, their best offensive lineman at this point. But the Rams, there's one thing that they can always look upon and shine admirably and feel good about. And that is probably the best defensive player in the NFL. I'm not talking about Khalil Mack. I'm not talking about Jalen Ramsey. I'm talking about the defensive tackle out of Pittsburgh. Number 99, Aaron Donald. And thus far, Aaron Donald only has two tackles, no sacks through two games. But keep in mind that last year, in similar fashion, I think it was like the first three games of the season, he only had one sack. But he went on to finish out the season with 20 and a half sacks. And so he's still warming up. He's still cooking where, you know, through two weeks, I mean, no kidding. You're seeing a lot of double teams, a lot of triple teams on Aaron Donald which has allowed his teammates to make plays. So far, I've seen Dante Fowler. I've seen Corey Littleton. I've seen Clay Matthews. I've seen them get to the quarterback. I've seen his teammates step up while the offensive line accounts for Aaron Donald. And so, yeah, I think that this is kind of a primetime game for him. I mean, this is Sunday Night Football. This is a weak interior offensive line for the Browns. So, yeah, I think that it's... If I were to put my money on something, he hasn't gotten into sex so far. I think he's due. So count on Aaron Donald, number 99. And another thing to keep in mind on this defense is whether it's uh, keep Tlaib, Marcus Peters, but I don't know if you saw Monday Night Football, but Odell Beckham Jr. can still do Odell Beckham Jr. things. You saw that one-handed catch on the sideline. You saw that 86-yard touchdown catch and run for the score. And so Odell Beckham Jr. loves 
primetime games. He loved Monday Night Football, obviously, against the Jets. Uh, yeah, just think about it at Cleveland on a national televised game. The first time for the Browns in like 11 years. And so I don't know how they're going to manage the, the coverage, but that's another point of emphasis for this game. So, I mean, you know, you go back and forth. You can talk about Odell Beckham Jr. You can talk about the Rams offense and this pass rush. Um, but it, what it really comes down to is both the trenches for either team because right now both teams, their pass protection has not been ideal. I should pick the Rams because you would say that, hey, they're only favored by three. They're a much better team, but... I just can't get away from the notion that this is a trap game. This is a game where Browns fans, the, the city of Cleveland, the state of Ohio, is really going to lean on. And this might be, you know, Baker Mayfield. He's been taking shots the last couple weeks down the field. He hasn't really hit on them yet. I just feel like, I just feel like the Browns are in line for a quote-unquote breakout game. A statement game, mind you, against uh, a team of considerable caliber in the Los Angeles Rams. So, I think that the Browns' pass rush will get more to Goff than the Rams will get to the Browns. I think that Baker Mayfield, despite his you know up and down season thus far, I think he's finally connect, connect on the D ball to Odell Beckham Jr. Keep in mind that their tight end, David Njoku, is out, but I still feel that, uh, yeah, I think the Browns can do this. Hmm. I'll do it. Give me the Rams 24. Give me the Browns 27. So the Rams are favored by three over under 50. I've seen some 48, but let's just say 50. So Rams 24, Browns 27. It's a trap. This is a trap game on Sunday Night Football, guys. Sorry, MC West, but I think the Browns will probably get this right and make a bit of a statement on Sunday Night Football. So it is what it is. It is what it is. All right, guys. Once again, thank you so much for checking out the pod. Please continue to check out the pod, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes. I'm also on Twitter at JustTheWest, Instagram at JustTheWest. And keep in mind that your boy is going to put out new content on www.justthewest.com. Until next time, we out here. Peace.